Good morning, Body of Christ at Life Changing Ministries. Today, this morning, is Sunday, April 10th, 2022. Did you guys know that it's Palm Sunday this morning? Come on now. In light of that, before we get started in the Word today, I wanted to start this message with a couple of slides. A couple of slides that are going to help all of us understand just a little bit better why today is so special. Why we celebrate it the way that we do. Now, I don't know about you, but can anybody out there this morning, any of you guys, use uh, an introduction to Palm Sunday? What, what about, could any of you raise your hand if you need Palm Sunday and a refresher in what the significance of Palm Sunday is all about? There we go. Okay. So let's have that first slide then. Palm Sunday. This is Eerdmans Dictionary of the Bible, by the way. Read this together with me. The day commemorating Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem, during which the multitude spread palm branches in front of Jesus as he came into the city. Man, that's going to be important here pretty soon. The event is attested in all four Gospels. Must be pretty important then. All four Gospel accounts have Palm Sunday and this, these events in, in them. Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, John 12. Although only John 12, 13 mentions palm branches specifically. Palm Sunday is celebrated the Sunday before Easter, or you could say it's celebrated Resurrection Sunday. So, that's right, it's a much better name, and we're going to get to that too. Now, Jesus had his final entry into Jerusalem. That's why this is so important. Also, as we said, it's attested to in all four of the Gospels. Another reason why this is such an important occurrence, church. Also, one week from today. Somebody say one week. One week from today, we are setting up for the celebration of the resurrection of our Messiah, Jesus Christ, from the death. That is going to be an incredible time together. Let's get our second slide. Our second slide is McClintock and Strong Encyclopedia, as you can see there at the bottom of the screen. It says, commemoration of Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. John 12, Matthew 12, Mark 11. Palms and the branches of palms were used in this important historic entry because they were then regarded as an emblem of victory. And the carrying and waving of its branches was emblematic of success and in honor of royalty. At the time of this triumphal entry, a psalm of rejoicing was chanted by the thousands who recognized the royalty of Christ. Man, that's exciting, isn't it? No sooner did he enter the city than he proceeded to the temple and wrought several miracles for the relief of both maimed and blind who came to him. These things were done on the day when the lamb was separated and devoted for the paschal service. And other preparations were made for the Passover. So from this, we get a couple truths here. The palm branches during this account, they're actually an emblem of victory. Carrying those palm branches is emblematic of success. And guys, carrying those palm branches is a great honor. During Palm Sunday and Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, preparations were actually being made for the Passover that was shortly to come. So now that we 
understand a little bit better about this specific special day. I'd like you to know this morning that the title of the message is Trail to Triumph. Trail to Triumph. Now we're going to be opening up our time together this morning in Genesis chapter 18. You can begin to turn there together. As you turn, I want you to listen to a little bit of background. In this passage in Genesis 18, which you all know very well, in fact, I've been talking to you during this past week about Genesis 18. Abraham and Sarah have just been interacting with three visitors. Abraham and Sarah welcomed them. They served them. They fed them. They also had some pretty extraordinary conversations about the future of Abraham's family line, as well as the miraculous things that the Lord would bring about for Abraham and his family. Guys, I want you to know that as you're turning there, that Abraham and Sarah, they were not the last stop on the trip that these three visitors on were on. Not the last stop at all. You see, in fact, they had at least, at least one more pit stop to make in a city called Sodom. That was on their trip, and it was going to happen after this. Let's pick up in verse 16 and see what all of these facts have to do with each other. You guys in Genesis 18, 16 with me? When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about? to do? Oh, saints, I can confidently tell you this morning that like the Lord desiring to share his future plans with his friend Abraham, the Lord also desires to share his future plans with us. In fact, he has indeed directed our gaze upon what will happen in the future and the Sodom and Gomorrah-like nature that this country that we're in right now is indeed headed for. But he is so good to never just stop there in the facts of what are going to happen. No, it's not just about the facts, church. He always also equips his saints, us together in this room, for the pathway ahead and give them what is needed to get there. We've had quite the journey together so far. Somebody say amen to that. Can you believe the number of children that we have added to just this local body in just the last five years? Isn't it mind-blowing to look around and see the children, to watch them on stage, and to see how blessed we are as a church? Did you see those young men and women uh, running back to children's church? Guess what? They're studying about the same things that we are preaching about this morning. The Lord's really helping us to get this next generation truly headed on the right path. What they're studying back there is a reflection of what we're preaching today, and it is a glorious morning for both of us. Guys, can you believe the marriages that have happened in just the five years? I mean, come on, think about it. I even get to celebrate nine years on Wednesday with my irresistible bride, Sam, sitting right there on the third row. Now... I could and I would take this advantage to go off on how beautiful she is and how she's been increasing in her beauty for the 20 years that we've known each other more and more and more every day and every week that we've been together. 
But the truth is, is that you guys already know exactly why that beauty has been increasing. You've been studying the book of Esther with us, so you understand completely why her beauty is the way that it is today. Which actually brings us to our next point. He hasn't just been preparing us with children. He hasn't just been preparing us with future marriages and marriages. He's also been preparing us with the type of revelation that we've been swimming in together. So on the very, very, very surface of things, right? Studying First and Second Chronicles all the way back in 2020, man, that seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? <laughs> it actually taught us that if you mock God's messengers, if you despise God's words, if you scoff at his prophets long enough, then the wrath of the Lord will be aroused. And a nation can actually get to the point where there is no more remedy for them. Now, studying Jeremiah, it taught us that we have a responsibility to righteousness. We also have a responsibility to be good figs, even in the midst of a bunch of bad figs all around us. The nation that is around us are bad figs, church, and it is heading for certain judgment. Daniel and Esther, though, they've been teaching us how to live faithfully in the historical context that we know is coming upon us. Isn't that so good? How amazing is our God? You know, like Abraham, we have been equipped in so many ways already, and he will continue to build us up and point us in the right direction. It's actually his delight to do so for us because he loves us so much. Continue in verse 18 with me. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. How many of you guys are moved by that passage this morning? Raise your hand. Man, you know that we started all the way in verse 16. And there is a reason that we did so. I wanted to make sure that you could not miss the actual context of Genesis 18, 19. In the midst of the Lord making a declaration of judgment against Sodom, he also makes the statement that he chose Abraham because Abraham would make sure to direct the generations after him. Amen. Guys, the significance of this fact, it absolutely cannot be understated for us this morning. The Lord has been speaking to us corporately about the Sodom-like trajectory of the nation that we're currently living in, which means only one thing. If you're sitting in those seats with us this morning, you have the same type of call that Abraham did. To direct this generation rightly. That call rests squarely on your shoulders and on mine as well. Romans 4.16 actually makes the bold claim that we are all children of Abraham. Listen to it for a second. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. 
Guys, in light of this, that being said this morning, we are of the same faith of Abraham. Therefore, we are of the same family of Abraham as well. This means that what happens to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 18 that we're reading together, it has great significance to us personally in our current situation today. See, as, Ab- as Sodom falls all around us, we will be built up. As Sodom sees its destruction and demolition, we will see our construction and our climb upward. The world around us will fall, but church, we will rise. And the only way for that to actually become a reality is by impressing on the next generation the righteousness and the justice of our God, just like Abraham did. Verse 20, it actually tells us of the nature of of what the Lord reveals to Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen to it. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Guys, we all know how this story ends, don't we? Utter destruction and desolation all around for the city of Sodom. The truth is, is that if you read it, the punishment of Sodom, it was bad. I mean, it was really, really bad. But for Abraham and his generations, they actually went on to thrive. Did you guys see that? Now, As we turn to Isaiah chapter 11 together, you guys can go ahead and do that now. You need to know that the context of this passage, it's in the midst of a very similar situation to what happened at Sodom. The events in the chapter, chapter 11 of Isaiah, are taking place around the time of that day. As in that great and that dreadful day. In the same way that it is great for Abraham, but dreadful for Sodom, Isaiah 11 is great for some and dreadful for others. Guys, we're talking about that special time leading up to and during Messiah's coming back. The special period that we all have our sights set on and we are greatly anticipating. So let's learn some together about that day and what exactly it might mean for us now. If you're there, which it looks like most of you are, I want you to say trail to triumph. triumph. Isaiah 11, verse 12. He will raise a banner for the nations. Ooh, that's going to be precious. And gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So, of course, the exiles of Israel, they're definitely the main topic in this passage, right? You guys have been taught very well about that. But isn't it also so special, as we're reading it this morning, that the Lord will also be raising up a banner for the remnant out of the nations as well? Guys, that's you and me. That's special. I personally cannot wait until the Gentile remnant of the Lord from the four corners of the earth stoops down, picks up uh, Jews, and places them on their shoulders and begins to make their way back to the promised land of Israel. 
man, that is going to be such a glorious day. Whether we're here to see it or whether we are in the gray cloud, that is going to be an amazing time. Pay attention to what happens in verse 13. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish, and Judah's enemies will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile toward Ephraim. Ooh. Verse 13, we got jealousies. We got hostilities. We got corruptions. We got sinful wrestling. These things, though, they're eventually going to vanish, and they're eventually be cut off. There's going to be a time where there is no more of these sinful corruptions, and man, I cannot wait for that moment. Anybody want to celebrate in advance that time where there's no more sinful corruption, no more hostility? Man, we're greatly, greatly looking forward to that moment. In that day, the highway that the faithful remnant has built, it's going to be a tried and true highway of holiness that was continually purified throughout the generations and that came to the place where they're ready for what happens in verse 14. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east. They will lay hands on Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be subject to them. Church, we're talking about they. We're talking about together laying their hands on these enemies and gaining swift and eternal dominion over them. What a glorious day that day is going to be. The destruction of ancient giants, you know, the ones of jealousy, the ones of hostility that we just read about, that actually gives way to the destruction of the ancient enemies of God's people. Did you see that in the passage? Look at verse 15. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that men can cross over in sandals. Guys, did you hear the prophecy this morning? Staring at the great sea, staring at the great river, the ocean in front of us, and watching the Lord separate that water so that we can cross even in sandals on dry ground. Church, the Lord is speaking to us this morning. Read 16 with me. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria, as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. Church, we've been trading in our axes. We've been trading in our machetes for the heavy machinery that is found in this body working together. That's the heavy machinery that we've been talking about this week, is us working together as a unit, as a body of Christ. That's the heavy machinery that moves Mountains and that moves obstacles in our path. It has been so much more effective than what we were working with individually, has it not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree with you. Well, the imagery in this passage, it's even greater. It's even greater than what we talked about already. Talk about some heavy machinery right here in verse 16. The Lord himself will dry up seas. The Lord himself will break up those rivers. The Lord himself will cause waterways to be rerouted so that his highway of holiness can be finally finished. Guys, it's a, it's a determined fact that God's highway of holiness will be done. 
Whether it's in our lifetime, whether it's in three generations, that highway is going to be finished and it's going to lead right back to the promised land. So now that we have a firmer grasp on exactly where we're headed, let's turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 21. We're going to do that together and dig into what exactly happened on this day in history. Just a couple thousand years ago. But it makes it so special to us, not yesterday, but right here and right now. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. All right. So right here in these first two verses, we've got just a couple ordinary asses. No big deal. No big deal. Except for the fact that they were untied together. They were brought to Jesus together. They were utilized by him together. You see, guys, operating in the way that God ordains, not by yourself, not in isolation, but together. That actually turns ordinary asses into extraordinary asses. Somebody say amen. Verse 3, if anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. Praise God for that. They brought the donkey and the colt, placing their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. So first of all, the imagery of one older donkey, one younger donkey, and both of them needed by the Lord, and only together? Guys, this imagery is so powerful. I want you to consider a couple things before we move on. The older donkey. He, he potentially could feel needed in so many other places that were away from the younger donkey. We're talking about trips with his master, without the younger donkey, right? He could feel very needed to do that. Talking about work projects without the younger donkey. What about just frequent time away and alone? No younger donkey present. Just because he's so worn out, it was a tough day. He worked hard, right? What about that younger donkey, though? We don't usually think about him, do we? He could feel needed in so many other places away from that older donkey, right? Going to kick a ball around without the older donkey. You stay over there, older donkey. Even leaving the older donkey's stable to learn from other donkeys how to be a smartass. That's not good, is it? But that's not what happened, thank God. The older and the younger were together and the cloak was spread over both of them. Guys, the things that you are learning... The corrections that you're getting, the corrections that you're making, the way that you're finding favor with God, these are a mantle or a cloak that is being spread over you and the generation coming after you. The goal is that your sons and your disciples do what you do and learn from what you do. 
And the Lord presides over the whole process because he has need of both generations, you and them. And even better than that, church, Jesus is riding on the younger donkey. The very glory of God is upon the generation after you. Guys, I could see that this morning. We're on our way to church and praying, and I've never seen this before, but my son is crying. And I'm wondering why, because usually when he cries, he's, it's because he's out of shalom. No, he was just crying because he felt the presence of God on him. I didn't feel God's presence like that, but he did, and he was crying because God's favor, he's riding on the younger generation, guys. What you're doing right now, it actually has nothing to do with you at all. It has everything to do with how you can empower that next generation to accomplish God's tasks. Verse 8. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Church, with all the extraordinary things that you've been learning about these two donkeys as of late, in this moment, I'd like to direct your attention to the large crowd of people and the cloaks and branches that they had and were spreading out. John 12, 13 tells us that these branches were actually palm branches, which is exactly why this day today is known by many as Palm Sunday. But this crowd right here in this passage, it's you. It's you, church. When they spread their cloaks on the ground and they took down palm branches and spread them on the road as well, this is a perfect picture of what you are also doing. I want you to listen to this next part very carefully. They were making a level path for Messiah to walk on. And you are also making a level path for Messiah and his people to walk on. They took their own dirty cloaks, their own palm branches, and they laid them down so that the pathway could be leveled. They were doing their part to forge the path for the highway, and it was great and it was glorious. I want you to note what they were saying as they laid down their cloaks and palm branches. Verse 9. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This crowd, you would expect maybe them to be weeping or wailing, but they weren't. They were laying down their corrupted cloaks, their dirty palm branches, and they were joyfully shouting, Save us now, Hosanna! They were, the, they were actually blessing the Lord as they did this. The leveling process and the highway that we're building for our generations, guys, it's a joyful process. And we need to portray it as such. Get rid of that ridiculous and corrupt attitude that wants to immediately rear its head and start training yourself to be godly. Your generations are actually dependent on that attitude. And it's not just your generations that are going to be affected by this. Verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Guys, when people see you being faced with the corruptions of your own present reality, and yet you're still able to rejoice, 
You're still able to lay those corruptions down. You're still able to make level paths for your feet. This is the very thing that stirs other men. This is what stirs cities. This is what will stir other nations. Guys, I can almost see the future of the highway we're building. I can almost see it stretching out to those other nations right now. It's the level highway that we are laying down now that will lead us straight into our future exploits in the nations of Aswan and into the heart of Islam. It will be others watching us build it together. That will be the key that unlocks their souls and wins them for Jesus, that prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. And it's that same level highway that will lead our generations into the promised land of Israel in order to help establish an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. Verse 12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Do you see the brazen confidence of the Savior when he entered the temple area? What chutzpah it took to drive out the corrupt and overturn the tables of the greedy. There's an important truth hidden here in these verses. The more that we level on the highway, the further that we walk on it, the more confidence that we're able to display along the way. The further the Lord will be able to use us for his purposes. It is a truth of the scripture. There is no replacement for the security that you have, looked, that you have looking back on what the Father has done in your life then looking forward at where he wants to take you, looking at that unleveled obstacle right in your path and just smiling at it. Just smiling at it and saying, I already know what God already did. This is going to fall just like the rest. Yes, this highway building process, it might even pave the way for the cleansing of corrupted religious institutions and their reappropriation for the real kingdom of God. Not to mention the healing of the blind and the lame while we do it. Let's continue in verse 15. And we will be reaching a part of our message of heightened importance in these next couple of verses. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David! They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? How could these chief priests, how could these teachers of the law respond this way? The older people in the crowd, they were laying down their cloaks and palm branches and they were rejoicing. The younger ones, they were joyfully shouting, Hosanna. The whole city was stirred. How could these religious leaders be indignant about all of this? Guys, the moving part about it all is that in just a few days from this moment, it wouldn't just be the chief priests and the teachers of the law who stood opposed to Jesus. No. The indignant attitudes that were expressed in those men would also be found in a crowd of a great number of people all shouting together, crucify him, 
And when Pilate told the crowd that Jesus being crucified was their responsibility, and when they replied, let his blood be on us and on our children, I don't think that they quite understood what they were saying. You know, many of the same people who had thrown down their own cloaks and palm branches to make a level path for the highway, just a few days later were found before the crucifixion in this crowd shouting indignantly. See, it's so easy to quote Psalm 118, just like they were quoting upon his entry. Verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's so easy to quote it. That is, until the level positions himself squarely on top of us and reveals that we are no more than plum sum. When we respond poorly, is that not also rejection of the same stone that the builders themselves rejected? Church, this morning we got to come to grips with the fact that we have proclaimed him king, but not made him king yet in certain areas of our own lives. We've even thrown down our own cloaks and palm branches many times to make level the highway. But when more unlevel ground is revealed to us, we still have some of these other areas. Maybe areas of jealousy and hostility that rise up and shout, no, crucify him. No, crucify him. When this happens, yes, of course, we're worried about it. But it's not just you that we're worried about. No, much more than that, it's your children that we're deeply concerned for. You see, directing your children and your household after you to keep the way of the Lord is about what you say. But it's so much more so about what you are doing, the example that you're setting before them on a daily basis and in this area. If you know that these areas of jealousy and hostility are still inside of you, and you know that for the sake of the next generation that you're raising up, they need to go and they need to go right now, I want you to raise your hand and I want you to keep it raised this morning. With those hands raised, I want to tell you that this is not a Sunday for weeping and wailing, church. No, this is Palm Sunday. This is a Sunday where we joyfully lay down these corrupted cloaks, these dirty palm branches. We lift our faces to our king and we cry, Hosanna! Pray together with me and let's cry, Hosanna, save us now. Father, thank you for this moment, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the conviction of your Holy Spirit, mighty God. Father, we want our jealousies to be destroyed once and for all, mighty God. We want our hostilities to you, our hostilities to our brothers, mighty God, to be destroyed once and for all. Father, we lay down our cloaks willingly before you again. Father, we take our dirty palm branches, Lord God, and we lay them before you again, mighty God, and we ask you to help us to level the highway before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, everybody take a deep breath now. As you do that, I want to ask you something. 
if it's an honor to receive a commission from an earthly king, how could it ever be a sacrifice to receive a commission from a heavenly one? What you just did is not a sacrifice, church. What you just did in laying down those palm branches and laying down your clothes, it is an honor before a heavenly king. Don't you ever forget that. In fact, I'd like to make sure that you remember our first two slides. Here's the first one. Notice the highlight on the bottom. Palm Sunday is celebrated the Sunday before Easter or Resurrection Sunday. I want you to remember that laying down your own cloaks and palm branches always precedes a resurrection. Always, every time. The leveling of the highway always leads to more life. And guys, there is life in that fight, can I tell you? What about our second slide? The cloaks and the branches that you are laying down, they actually symbolize the victory that is yours in Christ Jesus. I want to make sure that you get that. When you lay down your cloaks, when you lay down your branches, that is the victory in Christ. You are succeeding in your bringing honor to our royal king. So let's continue on this journey now together in verse 17, and we're going to go farther than that. And as we do, something extraordinary is about to happen in this passage. Are you guys ready for it? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. So Jesus was walking along the road, and he encountered a barren fig tree, a fig tree that only had leaves on it, something that was present on his own highway that was not producing the right kind of fruit. You guys see it? What did he do with it? Well, he went straight up to it. He looked straight at it. He cursed it. He dealt with it right then and there, guys. And guess what happened? It withered and was leveled underneath his feet as he continued to walk forward. Church, this fig tree might have even been something on the highway that had produced some amount of fruit in the past. Maybe somebody was able to enjoy it previously. But this highway is no ordinary highway. It is a highway of increasing refinement, increasing purification, increasing dependency and faith in what Adonai can do and accomplish. If you find a fig tree in your path on the highway, and it's producing leaves, but not producing the kingdom fruit that it's supposed to produce, we don't let it stand. No, we go up to it. We look straight at it. We curse it. We deal with it right there, and we crush it beneath our feet, and we keep moving forward. You see, Jesus himself was on a mission. He was on the highway, and he had his sights set on his goal. He had a baptism to undergo, you guys. He had a divine appointment with a cross and with a crucifixion. And even in the midst of pursuing all of that, he still knew that his journey on the highway, it wasn't even about him. No. No, it was actually about the salvation of the remnant of Israel who would come after him. That's what Jesus' journey was all about. In fact, everything that Jesus did. Somebody say everything. everything. 
everything that he was doing, he was doing for them. I actually challenge you to read through the Gospels with the revelation that everything Jesus did, he did for his disciples and the remnant of Israel who would come after him. Everything. But right now, let's watch how that plays out in the next verse, verse 20. When the disciples saw this, when the disciples saw what Jesus did, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, see, it's about them. It's not about him. Not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So it's true. The fig tree was definitely in Jesus' path. It was in the way of his next steps on the highway, and it needed to go. But the greater truth in this story is that his father leveled it in front of him so that the next generation who is watching would, be, would believe that Adonai would do it for them as well. And even then, that's not the best part. It's not just fig trees that can be leveled. If you believe, when you find mountains on your highway, on the highway that we're walking on together, those can be leveled too. Heavy machinery can and will give way to some Holy Ghost dynamite. That highway can be forged straight through the center of that mountain or straight through the center of that ocean. Remember in Isaiah 11, where we celebrated the time when jealousies, hostilities, corruptions, sinful wrestling would eventually vanish and be cut off? There will be a time where there is no more of these sinful corruptions, and we rejoice in that. But for now, they are all around us. They are inside of us. But we have the means to deal with them swiftly and definitively. We aren't doing this just because we want to grow no, we're doing it because the next generation is right beside us watching. Just like the disciples were watching Jesus. Guys, our next generation is sitting there watching us, asking themselves, what is my daddy going to do with this fig tree? Wow, it's right there. What is he going to do with that? What are my daddy and my mama going to do with this mountain that they just stumbled upon? That looks huge. It's really big. What they're asking the Lord doesn't seem possible until they see you do it. And they learn that on this highway, there is no other way but straight through. They will watch you curse the fig trees and trample them under your feet. They will watch you command the mountains to be thrown into the sea. The cloak that has been thrown over you will also be thrown over them. But you will discover that the authority and the power of Messiah is resting on them to take it even further. I know it can be overwhelming at times. Say like during a new construction building project. Or maybe when trying to build a highway through a desert or some other rough terrain. When you get so myopic about what is right in front of you and your vision becomes overly narrow. But at that point, it becomes absolutely necessary to look up and remember what this whole project is supposed to look like. Or where exactly this highway is going to lead. 
Would you guys like to see where this highway leads? Turn to Revelation chapter 7 with us. Somebody say trail to triumph. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Guys, these white robes and palm branches that we joyfully lay down to level the path on the highway, our Savior will himself purify them. He will himself give them back to us. He's declaring the victory that we have always had, but are now coming into the full effects of in this passage. He will purify your cloak, and he will wrap you in it again. He will make new your palm branches and put them back right into your hands again. And we will cry out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, we would usually read this passage and visualize ourselves as the ones who are in that great multitude, standing before the throne, standing in front of the Lamb. And we did just that. But in this moment, I want you to visualize your children. I want you to visualize this next generation as the one standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Son, come here. Good job, son. Come on up. Come on. There you go, son. Good job. Come stand by me. Good job. Church, they are the ones dressed in the white robes. How did they learn about those white robes? How did they learn how to joyfully throw down their old cloaks and make a level path for the highway? They learned it from you. Church, they are the ones holding the palm branches in their hands. Where did they get brand new palm branches from? Well, they learned from you how to lay down their old palm branches and trust that their king would fill their empty hands with something that they could actually use for him. They, though, it's better. They are still crying out, Hosanna, save us now, Lord. Where do you think they learned that from? They learned that from you. The way that you are crying out just like that, even this morning how you did it during our message together. Like Abraham, the revelation that we've been given by the Lord, it's not for us, it's for them. Like we learned from Jesus, Everything that we possess, it's not for us. It's for them. They are going to need everything we've got. Because the Sodom and Gomorrah-like environment that will swiftly come upon them, it will be great. But church, they will be greater. It will be ruthless, but they will be relentless. It will be all-encompassing, but they will be enveloped by the cloak that you have helped to wrap them up with. Stand up with me this morning. 
Church, have you ever celebrated prophetically before? <laughs> like, burst out in joyful song, burst out in joyful dance and rejoice before the Lord because of what you know that he will do? Guys, that's what we're going to do this morning. Get close to one another. We are going to prophetically celebrate the salvation that is coming upon this next generation. Father, we look forward in history, mighty God, and we thank you for what is determined for our lives and for this pathway. Lord, we prophetically celebrate the salvation that is coming upon this next generation. Mighty God, we celebrate what you're doing with our children. We celebrate what you're doing with our disciples, mighty God. And we prophesy into the future, Lord, that they will go farther. Lord, that this path will be blazed. That this trail and this highway will be a great highway. And many will be drawn to it. We worship you in advance of this reality in Jesus' name.